Good to have you guys here. My name is Brian. Uh, we've been going through a series about work, uh, and and I kind of it's hard for me to preach on this because I I honestly feel spoiled. I've got my dream job right here. Uh, in fact, uh, when I was 16 years old, I was even wanting to become a pastor or preacher. Back then, I'd already been like teaching Sunday school and you know preaching at youth group and stuff like that, but my, my mom actually didn't let me uh, look, like, I was looking even at, like, you know, schools of theology and seminary, and my mom was like, nope, like, if, if she said, if, if Mary made Jesus be a carpenter, you got to go get a real job first, so, so that's where, like, I've got a little bit of, of you know, sympathy and some experience to relate, uh, and, and I've had, you know, a variety of number of jobs. I've I've been kind of fired from jobs before, right? I've quit jobs, I've resigned. I've had all sorts of different experience, but, but the Bible is what we're going to be looking at today, and, and we're going to try to use it to, to relate to our current culture and context. And in the times of the Bible, right, they were in a time period where there was kind of like a, a, a bond servant and master sort of thing, where there was indentured servitude, where you would uh, kind of contract out a number of years of service, right? And, and not that the person would own own you like slavery per se, but that you would just kind of contract out your time and say, I'm going to work for you for seven years, something like that, right? So that's what we see in the Bible. And we're going to take these terms, bond servant and master, and just think about them in terms of like employee and employer, because all of the principles uh, are still going to apply to us today. There are all sorts of things that God would want to have us kind of have these attitudes in our hearts as we go to work or as we employ people, whatever we happen to be doing, God wants us to make sure that we're honoring to him him. So, uh, so we're going to be opening the Bible today. I'm going to be jumping all over the place like spitfire. Uh, but if you're interested in a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we've got something to give to you. You can take it home. It's our gift. Uh, and I'm going to be reading a bunch. And the Bible is like a mirror that when we look at it, it's going to show us the, the parts about us that are, are imperfections, the things that are in us that we don't quite like. And it'll also then confirm the things that we're doing right. So, so anticipate that the Bible is going to, you know, at times tell you you're probably wrong in areas and that's okay. And actually a lot of this stuff, I'm assuming uh, we're all going to be off on at least in multiple of these areas. And if you've got the notes, uh, just jot down kind of at least the things that maybe you need to focus on or that you might need to pray about uh, before you go into work in the mornings, uh, because I, I think all of these things are areas that we can we can grow in. So, so don't feel condemned if it's, this isn't like something that you've been doing or this isn't a standard that you're anywhere close to, but do at least allow the word of God to, to convict you enough that you're willing to do something about it, right? Don't just be like, oh, that was, that was interesting, and then like walk away and, and leave unchanged, right? We want to allow the Bible to change us from the inside out. So, there are five main passages in the New Testament. Um, I've got them kind of noted down at the bottom of the notes there. And uh, we're going to actually be taking kind of pieces of all of them and kind of interlacing them uh, just so I can try to make some points in, in a little bit of an easier method. So hopefully it will make more sense rather than less sense. But it would be good, uh, whether at missional community this week or even on your own, to go back and take one of those passages, maybe the one in Colossians or in Ephesians, and read through it kind of straight through. Because it'll have a flow to it that is also valuable, right? So I'm not saying like I'm smarter than the Bible in the way that I rearranged it, right? So So there we go. So 
So the first thing we're going to look at is, is servants, right? What, what is the expectation for servants? And you see, I've kind of outlined it with what they are to do, how they are to do it, right? Kind of like what they're supposed to feel at the time of their activity and, and why. Why should they do these things? So, so I'm going to just, like, I'm serious. This is going to be like bullet point. Here we go. Hang on. All right. Let's see. What time do I got? 9.50? All right. What time do I have to be done? Because I'm going to be cruising here. All right, we're good, we're good. Yeah, we're good, we've got this. So the first, uh, the first thing that servants are supposed to do, it says it in Titus 2.9, it says, bond servants are to be submissive to their masters in everything. And in 1 Peter 2.18, it says, servants be subject to your own masters with all respect. All right, so the first thing we need to do is, is to be submissive, to be subjected to the people who are in authority over us. We've seen these words before, back when we were way earlier in the series in the context of marriage. Same sort of idea, right, that God lets us kind of submit to those who are in charge. And the nice thing about not being in charge is the responsibility doesn't fall on you, right? You're only accountable to do what you need to do. And, and being submissive just means that you're going to, when you disagree, right, submit and be like, okay, let's do it your way, right? And, and I'm just going to help you make that happen. Uh, so that's, that's essentially what submission means. However, the Bible goes beyond just submission for those of us who are employees. Uh, in Colossians 3.22, it says, bond servants obey in everything uh, those who are your earthly masters. So this goes beyond just regular submission. This is like, basically, think about it this way. When you're on the clock, you should be doing the things that you were employed to do, right? So, so right, you, you should be doing the things that you signed a contract saying, like, I'll, I'll be doing my job. So basically, the same, do your job, right, is, is what the Bible's telling us to do. Do your job. So uh, that's what we should do. And, and this word obey is really strong, right? It's like, you know, if you've got a boss that tells you to do something, you should, you should do it. However, I do want to make note of some of the exceptions to this because just because the Bible says here obey uh, doesn't mean that it's an all-time thing. In fact, even in terms of government, we shouldn't always obey, all right? Even though the Bible says to obey those who are, are governing authorities. Uh, and in fact, uh, we've, way back when we were studying Acts, maybe a year ago, uh, we saw that some of the disciples, the apostles, were commanded by their governing authorities not to preach or to speak in Jesus' name. And that was something they couldn't obey, even though it was coming from someone in authority, right? So, and they said, hey, we can't help but speak and preach in Jesus' name. Like, what would you rather us do, obey you or obey God? Like, I can't, I can't do that. I'm sorry, right? And they, even though they were, you know, imprisoned and beaten up and some of them even killed, they still kept doing that in disobedience. So, so there are exceptions to this rule that if your job requires you to do something that is against uh, morality, that is against the Bible or God's expectation for you, you don't have to do it, all right? So that's your out. However, in other situations, right, if, if it's unclear, like, you, you, just, you just do what you're kind of told to do, right? You, you should be doing your job. So let's see the next one. I like this one. Uh, Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, Work heartily. All right, and I've been really trying to filter this joke, but I was just thinking, I'm so corny, but I was like, are you heartily working or, or working heartily? Right? Like one of the, no, I don't know. But anyways, right? But the point is we are to do our jobs well, right? We're supposed to like put our hearts into it, that we're not just kind of like, you know, meandering and slouching around as like being lazy, cruising Facebook. Like we should be like doing our work 
while we're on the clock, right? We should be working heartily. And this is uh, in stark contrast to kind of laziness, right, which the Bible does explain is a sin. And we'll actually look at a little bit of that next week as well. The next thing is we are to, uh, in Titus 2.9, it says, bondservants are to be well-pleasing, all right, so uh, being well-pleasing. So do your job to the standard and expectation of the person you work for, right? If they ask you to, like, mop the floor, I'm not just going to go, like, well, that's good enough for me. Like, don't do it to your standard. Do it to their standard. Do it to their expectation. Make sure that you're a person that brings joy to them when you go to work, right? You don't want to be the employee that your boss is, like, trying to figure out some loophole to fire you. Right? You don't want to be the one that's like, they're like, oh, I don't even want to put them on the schedule. Like, this is such a pain. You want to be someone that they are happy to put on the schedule, that they're like, this is actually going to be a really good day. They're, they're going to bring up the, the morale, the whole level of, of the entire crew. Everyone's going to be happy that they're here, right? So we are to be well-pleasing, not just to the people we work for, but the people we work with, right? We should be someone who's a joy to work with. So, so don't just try to like ride the margin of doing the minimal amount of just like just enough not to get fired, right? We should be well-pleasing going beyond that. Let's see, this one should be obvious. Titus 2.10 says, not pilfering. I had to look that one up. Pilfering is uh, stealing of thing, uh, things of relatively little value, right? So it's like, oh, a stapler, nice. Like, and just like, don't, don't steal things from work, right? Uh, and, and don't give yourself the justification, yeah, but it was only like a couple of pens and this and that. If it's only a couple of pens, then you don't need to steal it, right? Like, the, yeah, come on. So don't, don't steal. The, the other thing I, I notice about this is that to God, sin is a sin, all right? So don't try to justify it. Don't try to minimize it and say, well, I'm not as bad as this person, right? Or I'm not, I'm not doing the things that they're doing, so I'm, I'm okay. Like, don't, don't do this comparative justification, right? God doesn't want you to even do the, the little theft, right? He, he wants you to be honest, he wants you to, to not steal. You don't, that's not how he's planning to provide for your needs. Uh, so don't take advantage of company supplies or whatever. Uh, don't sin in order to do your job and don't sin while you are on the job. Let's see this next one. First Timothy 6 says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants, right? If you're under a contract, you have an obligation, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So I know... I know that you will likely have a boss that is not honorable. At times, you will have a person you're working with that is not respectable. But we are to still show them honor and to show them respect, right? It's something that God, he wants us to do. And, and in fact, later on, we'll see that the Bible even says this, when we have someone who is unjust that we work for, we're still to show them honor, right? So this is, I know, I know crazy, like this is a challenge. This is like, why would I want to do this? This is beyond what I need to do. This person doesn't deserve this, but it's something we are expected to do. All right. And in fact, uh, if that wasn't tough enough, this last how, or, or sorry, what that we should be doing uh, is first Peter two nineteen. It says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, right? So not only honor those who, you know, are dishonorable, but even in the midst of being mistreated, we should endure that suffering as Christians, right? That's, that's crazy, right? That's, that's way tough. 
that's going way above and beyond. And I know that, that we in America, we have rights as employees, which is a good thing. God doesn't want us to be oppressed as workers. We should right, desire to see other people liberated, that they could freely work and have a fair wage and all sorts of different things. God does care about those things. But if we are being mistreated, right? If you're being falsely accused in the workplace, if you're treated unfairly, if someone else is taking credit for your work, Right? If, if, if someone is mistreating you in any way, you are to endure as a Christian, being mindful of God. Right? That's what we're expected to do. And, and think about this, that the Bible applies to all times and all cultures. Right? So, so think about that. There's a good number of believers that have actually been slaves their whole lives. Right? That, that actually have had very difficult lives. Right? And, and God still honors them. God still rewards them eternally for the way that they handle themselves. Right? So, so even if you have a difficult job or even if you are being treated unfairly, you don't need to go out and necessarily like force that situation to make it right. right? And like I said, finding justice is important. Jesus cared about justice. Right? We should seek to, to bring justice to those who are oppressed, but at times we will have to suffer, right? This world is a broken, fallen world. It's not going to suddenly become perfect until Jesus comes back. So, so until then, we just suffer and we take it, right? Jesus said, you're blessed when you're persecuted, right? Jesus said to love your enemy, right? So this, this is something that, that we can do as believers. And in terms of this sort of suffering, Peter, he goes on. Peter's like really the tough guy today. He's, he's the one that's got the, the pill that's hard to swallow here. Peter says that our example for suffering is Jesus. And he, he goes on to explain how Jesus suffered. He says that in 1 Peter 2.23, when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when you're being mistreated, when you know injustice is being done to you, don't retaliate, don't get snarky, don't threaten back. Jesus is our example, right? He was silent when he was being accused in court. When he was beaten, he took it for us, right? And Jesus, we get to share in his sufferings as well in this life when we endure suffering and we are mindful of God in that time. So when justice fails you, and it will, just entrust yourself to the judge who, ju- uh, who judges justly, right? Entrust yourself to God. God will one day make all things right. God will make everything fair, and he is more just and more fair than we could ever be, right? He is, he is way beyond that. And, and, and realize that when we have a cry for justice, that that is in line with the heart of God. God likewise cares about justice, Right? God is a just and holy God. But also think at the same time that if, if true justice was done upon us, right? if God wasn't gracious and merciful, that, that we deserve to be damned. Right? We deserve justice against us. We deserve wrath. Right? So God is a merciful God, and God wants us to be able to show his mercy, to extend his grace and forgiveness when we are mistreated. And that's one of, the, one of the ways we can demonstrate God's work in our lives. So those are some of the, the what we do's. How about how we do it? Colossians 3.22 says, Not by way of eye service, 
as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Ephesians 6.6 6 says it similarly, not by, way, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, doing the will of God from the heart. So eye service, don't just do your job well when you're being supervised. Right? You should be working hard even if you're working independently and you have no manager that's on site that day. Right? I mean, think about it like if, if your boss walks into your office, do you have to suddenly like alt-tab on your computer? Do you guys know that trick? I assume everyone knows that trick, right? You just, okay, yeah, Joe Fry knows that trick, right? Yeah, so like you, do you need to like alt-tab out of Facebook and be like, oh, yep, yeah, writing up some reports, right? Like do you do that, right? Are you working only when you're supervised, or if someone walks into the, in, into the room, like, do you suddenly, like, have to, like, everyone gets quiet and, like, conversations stop and, oh, oh, yeah, we're working. You know, like, we should work even when we're not being watched, right? And, and it says, you know, not, not as people pleasers, right? So God doesn't like yes men. Don't, don't just kind of, like, go in and say, yep, yep, yep. Like, don't just be that way, right? And, and that's one of the things that he wants us to do. He wants us to be sincere in our work, Titus 2.9, this is one that I failed miserably at early on in my jobs, uh, not argumentative. Wow. Uh, I was extremely bold and arrogant and foolish. Like my first job, man, as a teacher even, uh, I would just like disagree with the principal and it's okay to disagree, but I was like argumentative, right? Where the way I handled it was just very, very foolish. And my most embarrassing moments in my life are those in which I was like in pride, Right, where I'm like, no, this is okay, and, like, and it's, it's, it's embarrassing, right? So, so we're not to be argumentative, right? And, and even thinking back in some of those situations, I still think I was right in my opinion, but the way that I handled myself was wrong, right? So, so we're not to be argumentative. Titus 2.10 says, but showing all good faith. All right, if that doesn't make sense, let's look at the New Living Translation. It says, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. So our character is displayed for all to see in the way we handle ourselves, right? And, and, and in the way we work, hopefully it's evident that we're trustworthy, that we're reliable people, right? Hopefully you're someone that, that your boss can trust, that they know that they can give you responsibility and know that it will get taken care of, right? It'll get done. And, and even just think about this, like, if you're not yet this way, start becoming a trustworthy and reliable person. Or this is something I was thinking about is, is don't, don't, don't bother praying for a promotion even if you're not a trustworthy and reliable person, right? Like God is a miracle worker, but he's also fair. He's just like, he's not going to just like, you know, turn your laziness into like a promotion. Like that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be glorifying to him. So, so yeah, so make sure that you're reliable. Uh, and in fact, Proverbs, I really love the imagery here in Proverbs describing an unreliable person. It says in twenty five nineteen, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Right? So like, I mean, we don't want to be that person, right? I, I don't know, like, basically this is talking about like having confidence in someone, right? Where like, if I go to chew down on an apple, if I've got a broken tooth, like that's going to hurt, 
All right? Or if I'm like confidently stepping out on a foot that's broken, like, ah, like that's going to make things way worse. And that's what the Bible refers to as an unreliable person. And we don't want to be that way. Right? We want to be someone that our, our employers or whoever we're working for can trust in. Right? That there's someone that they know like, hey, they can handle this. Right? I don't need to be kind of helicoptering around them to make sure this gets done. Let's see, next it says, and this is huge. This is actually one of the biggest ideas for the whole thing is Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Or Ephesians 6.7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. So it's easier to do all of these things when we realize that we're not doing it necessarily for the other people. Right? That everything that we do is being done as unto God. Right? And he's the one that has given us all things. So that when we work hard, we're actually honoring God. That it's a form of our, our worship to him. So don't think that God is only glorified in your life. You know, when you're reading your Bible or you're praying or you're singing a song in the gathering or something like that. God is, is glorified in the way you live your life. Right? God's not just looking for like, you know, Sunday visits and like a couple of mornings where you pray or pray before a meal. God's looking for you to glorify him in everything that you do. So, so work hard as unto the Lord. It's worship to God. So God expects this, uh, our hard work as obedience to him, not just to the people that we're working for. It's a, it's a bigger deal than that. And, and fortunately, if, if you don't like your boss, if you don't like the company you're working for, you can still go to work and just realize, like, I'm not working for them. I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this as if I was doing it unto Jesus, right? And, and this is absolutely the truth. And, and I, know, I know, like, with my previous jobs, like, when I've had really tough weeks, when it's been, like, really difficult or super busy and just trying to get everything done— that I end, up, I end up thinking about it this way, that this makes my offering as unto God all the more meaningful because the sacrifice was that much harder, right? So, so I, I would even think about this in terms of like when I'd give into an offering at a church, I'd be like, God, like this paycheck was hard. This was tough to earn this week. Like I had to go through a lot, but this, I, I give it as unto you, right? And I, and I would just view the whole week as something that I could do as unto God. In Colossians 3.22, it says, Bondservants, obey, fearing the Lord. Or Ephesians says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So I know this sounds crazy, right? This idea of fear. Uh, but we should have respect for God, right? We need to realize, like, He is supreme. He is sovereign, right? He is all-powerful. He is in charge, so we need to have respect and, and fear of God. Realize, like, he's the boss. And, and I know sometimes we don't think this. We try to, like, take the scriptures from the Bible. They're like, oh, I'll do that one because that one benefits me or there's a promise associated with that. But in reality, we shouldn't ever just, like, take a clear command of scripture and just be like, meh, I'm not going to do that one. Right? Like, we shouldn't just brush it off. Like, we need to realize who is giving that command. Right? That, that he is in charge. We need to realize that Jesus is supreme, that he is the boss, right? 
And, and one of the commentaries about this is talking this fear is, is not with some sort of slavish dread, but it's, it's just with a, a great amount of, I guess, moral anxiety that we should fail in a moral duty, right? So it's just doing the right thing. Like, God, this matters to you. Me doing the right thing is important, right? Yes, there's forgiveness if I fail, but I don't want to just like take advantage of that grace and assume that grace and forgiveness was cheap because it cost Jesus his life, right? So don't, don't just brush it off that way, even though we live in an age of God's grace, right? Where we live in this abundant forgiveness. In 1 Peter 2.18, here he comes again. He says, servants, be subject to all your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So yeah, Jesus taught us to love our enemies, guys. I'll just keep moving on. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.2, uh, this is actually kind of the contrast to that. If you're not working for an unjust person, maybe you're working for a believer, a, a believing person, someone who's a Christian. It says, those who have... Believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Right? So don't just take advantage of the fact that maybe you work for someone who's a Christian. Right? Don't just be like, hey, yeah, I've been stealing from you, or I've been showing up late to work, but you got to forgive me. Right? Don't, don't do that. We should serve them all the more uh, to be a blessing to them. So, so, okay, so we've talked about all of these crazy expectations, right? But why on earth should we do this stuff? Why, right? This is, this is tough, right? These aren't easy things that I've been rattling off. Uh, and, and here we go. The first one is good news, if you want to have like kind of the selfish reason to do it, I guess, or semi-selfish, is uh, Colossians 3 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Ephesians puts it this way, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free, and there is no partiality with him. So God, the Bible describes God as a rewarder in Hebrews 11. Right? God is one that he loves to lavish gifts on us. Right? So God isn't going to just like let all of this be for nothing. He will give us an inheritance. And in fact, we, the Bible describes in Romans, that we are joint heirs with Christ. So the good things that Jesus would get because he earned them, he also then graciously shares with us. Right? So God is going to reward us. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 5, he says that, that he who sees in secret will reward you openly, right? So, so whenever you're working hard and no one sees what you do or no one seems to appreciate the hard work you're putting into something, right? Or you're like painting a corner that no one's ever going to see, right? Realize that God still sees it, right? The one that made our eyes is also the same one who's looking upon us. Right? He's the one that sees all things, and he doesn't just let that go ignored. Right? So that can both be kind of like a, a thing of realizing, like, man, I guess I shouldn't be like doing whatever I want to do on my own time. But also realize that you can work hard even when it's unnoticed and unappreciated by others. That God still appreciates it. And this also allows us to stay humble. 
right? Realizing that like, I don't need to go fight so that I get credit for what I did. That God still noticed, right? That even if it's actually almost better, Jesus said, you know, pray in secret, to fast in secret, to give, not letting your left hand know what the right is doing, right? He, he said, do these things in secret intentionally, because if you do them publicly, that is your reward, right? Then people are like, wow, right? Look at what that guy gave. That, that was pretty big, right? Like that was your reward. You got it. But if you do it in secret, then God is the only one that knows. And he is the one that then he feels like almost not an obligation to be the one to reward you, right? And, and Jesus said he'll do it openly. These next two are, are really key as to why we need to do this. This is so important. First Timothy 6 says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So our hard work isn't just for our benefit, the reward we get. You know, it's not just for our compensation, you know, week to week. It's not just to be a blessing to those we serve, right? It's, it's that we represent Jesus, that the, the day you become a follower of him, right, the Bible describes you as an ambassador for Christ. You're his representative. And that might not be a title that you want to bear or feel ready to carry, but, but realize that you do. You represent him to the world, right? So if you're just like kind of being a terrible employee, that reflects back on him. And this verse says, to the point where people will revile the name of God and the teaching about him. This next passage goes beyond this in a beneficial way. Titus 2.10 says, So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God, of God our Savior. So, so one of the reasons we work hard is it's, it's evangelism. It lets people know that God is real. He's actually at work in us. Right? It lets people know that God is a good God and that we take his word seriously. Right? We don't just like pick and choose the parts that we think are good for us out of the Bible. We're going to do even the things that are hard. So it will make the, the teaching about God, right? the gospel, ap- appealing to people. Right? They'll adorn it. They'll be like, man, like, what is going on with these people? Why is it that they're such hard workers? Why are they acting this way? So rather than you know, having it be reviled, it can actually go beyond that and, and people admire it. So let's see. So guys, I know you're probably thinking like the time and like Brian's only covered talking about employees right now. Like how long is the sermon going to be? And don't worry, uh, we're like 85% done. It's okay. So masters, that, for, for people who are bosses or employers, it's a, a much shorter list, but it's uh, in terms of seriousness, like up, ups the ante. All right, so don't just think like, oh man, they've got a short list, they got it easy, uh, because we've seen that wherever God gives authority, he also gives accountability. There's a responsibility with it. All right, so the, the weight is far greater on those who are in any authority in any position. So, so what are our masters supposed to do? First of all, uh, realize that we just talked about all of these things that, that God expects people who work for you to submit to you and even obey you. So that's a huge weight to carry. So you need to be the kind of person that can do that well, that you're responsible, that you're kind, that you're loving, right? You want to make sure that you handle that authority in a good way and that you're not just, you know, abusing your authority for your own selfishness. 
In Colossians 4.1, it says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Right? So those of us who are upset about like, wait, I have to serve someone who's unjust, just so you know, God still holds those people accountable. The expectation on them is that they are fair and that they are just. Right? God expects that of them. So, so if you're in charge, don't exploit people. Don't use your authority for greed. Don't show favoritism. Don't, don't right? You, you need to be a, a good boss. You need to be representative of God in the way that you are a leader. In Ephesians 6, it says, Masters, stop your threatening. So don't be harsh, right? Don't go cussing people out. Don't be demoralizing, yelling at all these people that work for you, right? That you need to be <laughs> representing Jesus. You need to be loving, like I said. And this word threatening, just so you're aware, uh, it's used two other places in the New Testament. And, and both of those situations are talking about when Christians were about to be beaten or murdered, that these crowds would be threatening and yelling murderous rants and things as they'd be charging at believers. So, so this type of threatening is uh, an abusive type of threatening, okay? So uh, it has a, a measure of cruelty with it. Uh, so that's what you shouldn't have when you're in charge. It doesn't mean that, uh, for instance, you still could say the phrase, you've been late to work three times this, one, uh, this month, right? If you show up late again, I'm going to have to fire you. Like, that wouldn't be a threat in this context, right? That's not cruelty. That's kind of just upholding a standard and an expectation. Because I think it would be kind of meaner just to, like, fire him without giving him any fair warning. So, uh, so that's not what that's referring to. But, yeah, so stop your threatening is referring to, like, abusive language, demoralizing yelling at them, stuff like that. And this one I'm sure we'll like, uh, pay them fairly. Pay your employees fairly. Uh, this, this is actually all throughout the Bible, all the way back in Deuteronomy uh, and everything. But uh, I've got James chapter 5, verse 4, talking to rich people who are in charge. He says, Behold the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, right? You withheld their wages are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, so God gets upset when people oppress their workers, right? When people aren't paying them fairly, when they are mistreating them. And, and in fact, b- back in Deuteronomy, it says that you were supposed to pay your workers daily so that they wouldn't be hungry that night and then be crying out to God against you and then God actually gets upset with you, right? So I, I don't think biweekly paychecks are wrong or anything like that either, but, but just the point is make sure that you're paying them fairly, that they're not going hungry, right? Hopefully you're, you're paying them fairly. And uh, don't be fraudulent in the way you compensate your employees. So how are masters supposed to do this stuff? In Ephesians 6 it says, Masters, do the same to them. Or other translations say, treat your servants in the same way, the same way as your servants were treating you. Right? That all of these things that were expectations, the way that they serve you as though they're serving the Lord, you need to treat them as though you're treating Jesus that way. Right? So the expectation is, is reciprocal. And like I said earlier, remember that when Jesus taught on authority, he said that you're not to, to lord your authority over other people. That the person in charge is actually supposed to be the servant of all. 
That's the type of leader that Jesus wants. So we're not to be domineering if you're in charge. And how about the why for masters? Here we go in Colossians 4. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is why you need to be a good boss. This is why treating them fairly matters. Or Ephesians 6 says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So, so if you're in charge, you're not the king of everything, right? You're, you're not the boss of everything. You are merely a steward of any authority that's given to you. You have a delegated authority, right? You will report to your master one day, right? You will report to someone else. And that's why it's important how you handle your authority. One of the things that I don't have the verse on the screen, but in Isaiah 58, it talks about that those who oppress their workers, God doesn't hear them. God doesn't listen to those people when they pray. That if you're someone who oppresses others, that even if you've dedicated time to God, if you're, you're fasting and praying, God doesn't even hear you. And that's crazy, right? Like, your prayers are hindered because of the way you fairly treat or justly treat someone else, right? Or unjustly treat them. So it's important that you realize there is a why in, in how we treat other people, right? That if God has given you authority, it's, it's for a reason. Let's have the, the worship guys come back up here. And... I want to just think about this, that wherever you are in life, God doesn't measure your success compared to other people, all right? If, if you are called to be an employee for your whole life sort of thing, right, never run your own business sort of thing, God is calling you, he measures your success against what he's called you to do. So he doesn't compare you to someone else, he compares you to the, the you he has equipped and called you to be. And that's how he rewards you. He rewards you based on that. So don't just think because someone might be way successful on this earth that that's a metric of how much God loves them or how successful they will be for eternity. Right? Because Jesus said that the, the last will be first, the first will be last. That, that we are measured based off of what we do in our lives. And that whatever situation we're in, no matter how mistreated we might be, that we are still able to do the right thing. You can still do the right thing while being treated wrong. Right? And I've lived it, guys. I know it's doable. And, in fact, the harder it is to do the right thing when being mistreated, the more glory it brings to God. So... Realize that, that God has equipped you for every circumstance that you face, right? He never lets you be tempted beyond what you can stand. So God is, is with you, and we are to live our lives. In Romans 12, it talks about being a living sacrifice as unto God, right? That we live our lives just in worship to God, and that it's our reasonable service. So guys, just think about this, that wherever you are, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, and that you actually are doing it to the Lord. And that's, it's, it allows us to kind of endure a lot of different hard things, different hardships. But we can do it for his glory because he, in fact, gave everything for us. Right? He didn't hold back when he was suffering. 
He didn't hold back. And he wants us to be able to share in Christ's sufferings. And I know that's crazy. But Christianity isn't all just some blessing bubble that you get to walk in for the rest of your life. There are Christians who die as martyrs, right? You will endure persecution. But, but suffer it representing Christ the same way that he endured suffering. All right, so let's, let's just pray about that. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that you are in charge. That, God, where there is injustice and, and our hearts cry out against it, that, Lord, your heart is the same way. You despise injustice, God. You are holy. And, God, I ask that, that Lord, you would deliver those who are oppressed. I thank you that, that Jesus, when you came, you came to deliver those who were oppressed by the devil. That you came to destroy the works of the devil. And God, I thank you that you are at work in our lives. That we can be more and more like you. That God, you sympathize us, uh, with us in our weakness. That God, you know what it's like to suffer. And that God, we can live our lives as unto you. And that even when no one appreciates what we do, no one sees the things that we do, that we know that you see those things. And that, God, you do reward us openly because of it. So I ask, God, that you would inspect our hearts, search our hearts, that we would repent of sin in any area that we are not living up to your standard. And that, God, you would live through us to this world, that we would be a light to this world in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together.